Hey, it's Mistress Carrie, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 26 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, but we all know them as DCU. And whether you bank at one of their branches or you use their mobile app to do your banking, DCU is committed to putting the needs and goals of their members first. And each one of their members' financial situations are different, and DCU gets that. And while they have over 850,000 members nationwide, DCU remains a local credit union with deep ties to their local community. In mid-December, one of their oldest branches in New England is relocating. For over 20 years, the team at DCU's Hudson, New Hampshire branch has been doing the right thing by their members. And they are going to continue to do that at their new Hudson location inside the Flagstone Crossing Plaza. What could DCU mean to you? Find out at dcu.org. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Latini Creative Solutions. With over 20 years of experience in design, print, and marketing. Specializing in creative solutions that capture your voice and deliver your message. I cannot even begin to explain how important they have been with Cocktails in the War Room the Mistress Carrie podcast, and mistresscarrie.com. If you're starting a company like I did this year, you want it to look good. Matter of fact, you want it to look great. You want it to be professional. You want it to be energizing. And you want to have your company's identity and marketing campaigns on point. And that is exactly what Latini Creative Solutions did for me. They provide design that is thoughtful, focused, and creatively executed. So if you're looking to rebrand or you're starting from scratch, find out more at latinicreative.com. Okay, before we start this week's episode, I want to put in a plug for the Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass. They're available at patreon.com slash mistresscarrie. And it's that perfect thing for the Mistress Carrie fan that wants, well, more Mistress Carrie. Who doesn't want more Mistress Carrie? It's like extra cheese on a pizza. Who doesn't want that? A Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass gets you backstage. It gets you exclusive pictures, blog posts, polls, exclusive backstage access into my life, and discounted merchandise in the online Mistress Carrie store at mistresscarrie.com. So with the holiday shopping season in full swing, if there's somebody on your list and you just don't know what to get them, get them a Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass on Patreon. And Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass number 100 is getting an awesome Mistress Carrie prize pack. So log on to patreon.com slash Mistress Carrie right now and get a backstage pass. Okay, kids, it's time to strap yourselves in because this one has been a long time coming. Even before WAF went off the air on February 21st of this year, people were calling us and asking us what was going on with LB or Lyndon Byers. And most of the time, we didn't have an answer. He spent years throwing punches on this hockey team that you might have heard of, the Boston Bruins. And then he spent over 20 years as a member of the Hillman Morning Show. Then he co-hosted the afternoon show with Mike Shue for a very brief time. And then, without warning, he quit live on the radio. I didn't hear from him for months until he called in the last day the radio station was on the air. And I got to tell you, when I announced the Mistress Carrie podcast, he was one of the most requested guests. 
everybody wants to know how LB is. Well, you're going to find out in episode 26. And I think you might be surprised by the answer. I bumped into Kevin Barbary a few months ago at a mall, told him I had been trying to get a hold of LB, and was unsuccessful. Kevin and I talked about it when he was on the podcast for episode 17. Next thing you know, Kevin texts LB. LB texts me and says, Hey, honey, you, I heard you're looking for me, kid. That's my LB impression, by the way. And I was like, uh, yeah, LB, how are you? And will you please come on my podcast? And he said, I'm having surgery in September. And once I recover from that, the answer is 100% yes. And amazingly enough, here he is. If you don't know who Lyndon Byers is, if you are a fan of hockey, if you have struggled in your life, if you are looking for some inspiration about coming back against the odds, or if you ever listen to WAF, and especially if you loved the Hillman Morning Show, well, you are going to love this episode. Allow me to introduce you to Lyndon Byers. Well, we just call him LB. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely, pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Blue Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the Band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. This is Marilyn Manson, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to. Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. LB. Mr. Scary. Oh, my God. It's really you. Well, God has nothing to do with it, dear. You're incredibly famous. <laughs> and I, I was a huge follower of your, your career. And I can't believe that you... You, you called me. I miss you. I miss you so much, too. And when I started the podcast, out of all of the rock stars and all of the people that I've had on the podcast, you are one of the top three most requested guests. People are like, when are you going to have LB on? Will you <laughs> yeah, please they, have LB on? So you're finally cause, here. Because <laughs> they think I'm going to die. That's why. Well, They're like, I'm alive. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on, everybody. I'm still alive. I promised everybody when you know when I was when we were all doing radio together that I I, I told everybody I promised you I'm going to live till I'm like 105. It's going to be crazy. You're like the Keith Richards of WAF. Yes. Like no matter what it is that you do, you're going to outlive us all. Yeah, and 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 it's great. I have a, you know, and I'm freaky like Keith Richards. I. As crazy as I am, and as many times people expect me to crash and burn, I have a beautiful wife. Our house is full of Christmas 
it's we're getting ready for the holidays already. You know, we did the Thanksgiving thing with the outlaws and Rod and Lynn came by and everybody wore masks and, and they dropped off food for us. And, you know, it's one of those things I'm going to live forever and and it's going to be amazing. Keith Richards came out recently in an interview and talked about what he's been doing while the coronavirus has taken over the planet. And one of the things that he started doing was he started a vegetable garden. What have you been doing since the whole world kind of shut down? Well, number one, I've been, it's been kind of lucky for me because I've been dealing with, you know, as we all know, my hip, my hip is a nightmare. So I can't venture, I can't venture far from the house. So, you know, I'm, I'm obviously well aware of what's going on. You know, we, we, we did a, you know, a little shindig for Saturday football and Sunday NFL football at Richie's and everybody wore a mask and everybody was great. And, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're pulling, pulling the weight that everybody's supposed to pull. You know, you can't, you can't not do the right thing because someone you know, it has catastrophic consequences, right? Well, one of the things that they're studying now, one of the side effects is they are now tying the coronavirus some months after you recover from it to erectile dysfunction. So while you might not end up on a ventilator and die from this thing, it could totally screw with your boner months later. Well, you know, the good news about that is I still get a boner, but it's crooked. And and I heard that is an old age thing. I, I was I was worried about it, and now I found uh, they're the Peronis Peronis.com. I guess there's some magical people that can fix my boner. <laughs> so since I started the podcast back in June. Uh, the audience has grown nationwide and worldwide, and now there's 95 countries listening to the Mistress Carrie podcast. So there, I love it. So there could be a lot of people listening right now that don't have any idea about the time that we spent together at WAF yeah. because they're new to me because they discovered the podcast. So, sure. so what I want to do is I want to go back to the beginning and anybody that doesn't know who Lyndon Byers is, I yeah. want to start back at the beginning and then we can talk about all of the amazing years that we worked together at WAF. But you were born in Nipawan, Saskatchewan, right? Sure. Sure. You can Google it. Google the Nipawan water tower We, as, uh, as, as eight to 12 year olds. It's a 110-foot water tower. We used to play tag where you couldn't touch the ground. And we used to swing like monkeys 40 and 60 and 70 feet in the air. My friend Metro Melanchuk, God bless him, greatest Ukrainian of all time, uh, he actually climbed the needle on the top of the water tower until it bent over and he was going to fall off and then came down. It was, we were crazy kids back in the day in Nippon, man. Nippon was nuts. That was when you were allowed. We used to take, Terry, you'd love it. We used to be able to take, we used to take our six shooters and go shoot ravens just for fun. 
It was it was nuts. How big of a place is Nipawan, Saskatchewan? Two thousand, and I think maybe a little more now, because they built a they built a water down there, uh, uh, an electricity dam thing. Uh, I don't mean that is in dam. I mean no, a hydroelectric plant. You okay. mean? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the Saskatchewan River is a big ass river that flows halfway across Canada. And they built uh they built the electricity down there that added a lot of more people, but it's still less than three thousand people, maybe like twenty five hundred people. And how far north into Canada is it? It's it's cold where you're from. Yeah, yeah. The average temperature in winter is like minus thirty five, gets down to minus seventy. Um it, it it's crazy. It's we're you know, it's uh, I'll put it in perspective for Americans. It's probably 10 hours or 15 hours north of Bismarck, North Dakota. And Bismarck, North Dakota is pretty cold. Yeah. So, you know, many, you know, but, but, it, you know, not for nothing, Carrie, the cool part about cold places, even Alaska is they, you know, no matter how cold it gets in the winter, whether it's 50, 60, you know, and, and the crazy part about up there is it's all flat land. There's no mountains. So there's always a every day minimum, there's a 15 mile an hour wind. On a good day in the summer, you know, there's a 30, 30 mile an hour wind. I mean, I remember being in high school, we used to take our bed sheets and we'd tie knots and put them under our arms. And then the wind would catch you and it you'd fly for like, 40, 50 yards, and then, you know, obviously turf it. But that's what we used to do for fun back in the day. You know, that's crazy Canadian stuff, right? I can fly and then, <laughs> and then get knocked out as you tumble for 20 yards. So it's no surprise that growing up in a place where climbing the water tower and making yourself into a windsurfer are, you know, when those are your pastimes it's no surprise that you would play hockey well there was well again carrie there's nothing else to do when it's that cold you know i mean every day it was about hockey you know there wasn't a there wasn't a day you know you had school obviously and then after school you know we used to take our skates and put them over your shoulder with your stick and your gloves and walk two miles to you know, we used to god i forget the, the farmer's name this farmer was the nicest farmer on the planet he had a big pond i think his name was richards his last name was richards but he used to he used to take his tractor and plow and plow off four rinks on this giant pond so each age group used to be able to so if you were if you were like six to like ten you could plan one one rink if you were 10 to 12 or 13 you play another rink if you're 14 to 18 you play another and he used to plow the rinks off for all the kids and and we all used to walk there it was like two miles to his farm outside of Nippon, and we'd all be walking down this road right this dirt road with our our skates and and our gloves over our shoulders on our sticks and that would be you know every saturday and say you, you can't you can't explain how it is. And, you know, it's like Alaskans, the kids learn how to shoot and hunt seals. 
you know, in northern Saskatchewan, it's not that heavy. Your your parents go to the grocery store. So, but you know, we used to you used to skate. I lived in Nippon and we never had paved roads. So the dirt roads, the snow would get run down by the tires of the cars. So you could actually get dressed in all your equipment, skate down the dirt road. And, you know, Nippon had 2000 people and there was, there was two outdoor rinks, three outdoor rinks and an indoor rink in a town with 2000 people. That's, that's pretty, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Plus the farm. You guys had all kinds of places to play hockey. Yeah, of course. You had ponds everywhere. It was, you know, and, and that's all you did was play hockey and play. Well, you know, when we did everything, we played snow soccer, you played snow football. It, you know, we didn't miss out on anything. It's, you know, it's, it's like why all the best hockey players come from Canada because it's cold there and there's a lot of snow. Why all the best football players come from warm states like Florida in America because it's, summertime you know 24 7 every day do you remember putting on skates for the first time or did it happen when you were so young that you can't even remember that far back i you know i i always remember that we used to play at the south outdoor, outdoor rink and it was always by the kosh family's house so we used to always walk to the kosh family and they were always awesome when we had, and and that outdoor rink was always it was across the street so we all get dressed inside there and then skate across the street and it was an outdoor rink and I just remember it you know you'd play as long as you could play until your hands and your face and your feet were frozen your ears had frostbite so you go into this I remember them having a little cement shack with a fireplace that this old dude would be there and have the fireplace going for us. And we'd go in there, get as warm as we could to go play some more. And you'd play all day. It was, it it was awesome. How old were you then? I'm trying to figure out when it is that you started playing hockey. Well, my mom was a figure skater. So my mom, my mom was an incredible figure skater and taught figure skating. And I, according to her, Um, She had me out with her. So, you know, obviously she couldn't get a babysitter. So she would take me to the rink while she taught figure skating. And everything was before school. So it was from 5 in the morning till 7.30 in the morning before all the kids had to go to school. And she would drag me there with her. So, you know, it was just, yeah, I think it was just your typical Canadian kid with with a mom that taught figure skating. (laughs) (laughs) When did you realize, how old were you when you realized that you were good at playing hockey? Or when did people notice that you were good at playing hockey? Um, I I think it was uh, the the Billings Bighorns. Um, I think I was, I think I was 12 and a half, 13 years old. And the Billings Bighorns invited me to their training camp. And I'll never forget it because it was horrifying. I was, because junior, junior hockey is, you know, you can be, you can be 21 years old playing junior in Canada. So I was at this training camp and I remember, I didn't, I don't even think I had hair on my nuts yet, you know, you know and, 
and I'm, I'm with these guys. I'm with full grown men, you know, I'm with like, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds. I guys are, guys are shaving in the morning. I'm taking a leak watching guys and they with beards and they're like shaving. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to get killed here. This is going to be out of control. And then I remember, I remember like my second practice at, uh, at the Bighorns training camp. And I, I high stick this guy, um, slob and I, I God, I forget his name. I ended up playing junior hockey with him. Johnny ended up being my captain, but I high sticked him and cut him, cut his lip. And he didn't know what to do. He was going to punch my lights up, but he was looking at a 12 and a half year old and he was like 16 or 17. And he's like, should I beat this kid up or not? So he kind of just grabbed me and told me to wake up and smell the coffee. When did you have your first, like, major hockey injury? Were you in the minors then when you got hurt the first time? No, I was playing. I was actually playing junior hockey. I never really, I never got hurt until I played for the Regina Pats. And uh, it was, uh, I think it was, I, it, I think it was like my second year with the Pats and I got I was standing in front of the net and, and funny for the listeners is I score, I tipped a goal in and scored and a guy slew footed me and I hit my neck on the crossbar and I broke three vertebrae in my neck. And the, the wild thing about the whole story was I, I blacked out. So then I, the last thing I remembered was my teammates picking me up off the ice I went back to the bench, trainer came over. I was like, yeah, no worries. I'm good. And I actually finished the game. I ended up playing another period and a half with three broken vertebrae in my neck. My C6, C7, uh, C8, I think in my neck were all broke. And I woke up the next morning and I went to get out of bed. And my, I threw my legs out of bed and I couldn't, I was paralyzed from my waist up and, and, but I could talk. So I yelled for my mom and the next thing you know, is they took me to the hospital, um, they put me in, I was in traction for like a week and then I wore a collar for a long time, but I was back playing by the end of the year, <laughs> old school hockey, broken neck, no big deal. What people are going to realize that aren't familiar with you in this interview is your vast medical knowledge because you've been forced to basically get an honorary <laughs> medical degree because of all the injuries that you've yeah. sustained in your hockey career. Of course, of course. If you have a fracture dislocation of your wrist, I can fix it. When you start playing minor league hockey with full-grown men at the age of 12 and a half, you're also going to get exposed to a lot of stuff as a 12-year-old that you probably shouldn't get exposed to. And by, oh that, I, by that, I mean the partying and the girls. And I think this is going to go towards the person that you became and all of the crazy stories that we'll get into in this interview but if we're going to do an archaeological dig of Lyndon Byers, you have to dig through to get to the layer where it's like, 
Oh, there's where it started. Do you remember the first time you drank? Uh, yep. I was, uh, I was 11 years old and, uh, me and Doug air, who was my best buddy. He, we used to, uh, he had the contract, uh, for the nip one drive-in and Sunday nights used to be a dust till dawn. So they play four movies and Doug and I would sneak out of the house and we used to go and sit against the fence and we used to drink Crown Royal and watch the movies all night. And back then your parents didn't, they never checked your bedroom. They, you know, and Doug Air had the contract to clean the drive-in and we used to pick up all the, the, the garbage at the drive-in and we made, uh, we made a dollar, I think it was a dollar an hour. And it used to take us about four hours and we used to use the picks and we used to pick up the garbage after we watched uh, the dust till dawn from four in the morning and we were hammered when we, when we were munchkins. You're a leap year baby, but what year, which, which you're one of two leap year babies that I know, what year were you born? 64. So we're talking about you drunk at the drive-in in like 1976 oh, or 1975. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I was, I was tearing, you know, obviously I was tearing it up early, but it, you know, but again, back then who everybody was, I, you know, I, I had a, you know, I had a great, I had a great dad, you know, I used to, I remember being, he used to, he had one of those Dodge Vanameras, you know, that had the back, had the four luxury seats with the kitchen and it had the full down bed in the back. We used to go, we used to do the drive-ins my freshman year of high school. We used to, I, it, it was uh, five bucks for everybody. If you knew the password, you get the password on the radio on Friday and on Sunday, if you knew the password, as many people in your vehicle could get in for five bucks. So we used to, my old man owned a bar back then. So he'd give us like three cases of beer. And we used to load the van up with all my best buddies and girls. And we'd back the van in and put the speakers up, open the back doors. And we'd sit there all night for the four movies. It was crazy. And of course... When you got a bunch of guys up there and you got a vehicle like that and you just said, and the girls are there. Well, yeah, you had a bed in the back. Hello. <laughs> Come on, man. It's high school. <laughs> Tell me about the girl. The girl. The girl? The first girl. Because this story is crazy. Um. Oh, are you talking about the girl that gave me crabs? No, I'm talking about the girl that oh. took your virginity. Oh, God, I don't even now. I'm too old. I'm not remembering the story. Was it? No, th that was the that was the girl that gave me crabs. I lost my virginity in the back camper and my grandma and grandpa's had My grandma and grandpa had a pop up camper trailer. And I, I, I. I was leaving because I used to always, my dad used to let me go back to see my grandma and grandpa. They lived in this great tourist town, Jasper, Alberta. 
it's a great ski town, great summer town. You know, it's like Aspen, Colorado in Canada. It's crazy cool. And I went back. We had moved away, and I went back. And uh, I slept with her my grandma and grandpa's camp pop-up camper in the summer. It was like two days before I was leaving to go back home. And then uh, and I went back home. And I was I was taking a I was taking a leak, and like I saw something move on my dick, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> like I'm like, "What? Whoa, that's..." And then I, so I picked I picked a crab off. I had no idea what it is because I'm only 14 years old, and I put it on the edge of the sink, and I was watching it, and I'm like, "That's a, it looks like a crab." And I was like, did I get that in the lake while I was water skiing? <laughs> so I thought I got it from water skiing in the lake. And I was trying to kill it and it wouldn't die. So I just washed it down the drain. And then my mom had to wash all my clothes and everything and freaked out. And Good story. <laughs> I mean, I mean, great story. I mean, if you're going to lose your virginity, you know, you might as well, you know, get, get some animal on your dick that you don't even know exists it's a souvenir lb think of it as a souvenir yeah you know i i still think it's a great story <laughs> it is I a, mean, it's a I very mean, lb I, story yes when you got to a certain point in your junior hockey career you had to move away to to play so you how, always move when that's a that's a crazy thing. It's it, it's the same with any it's the same with any sport, Carrie. I mean, even even in America, you know, you know, kids that play hockey in America, kids that play baseball in America. I mean, you know, just think of the Cape Cod League. You know, you've got you've got if you're a really incredible high school player, you leave your house and you say goodbye to your parents and you spend the summer on Cape Cod with you know, they have families that are nice enough and awesome enough that change kids' lives because it happens to all of us. You know, the same in hockey, baseball, football. You know, when you're a young kid in football, I don't care where you're from, you always got a camp to go to or you, when you're good enough, you know, Ohio State grabs you. You don't think Ohio State's finding kids that are 12 and 13 years old that are scoring 25 touchdowns a year in their league they're already scouting them it's great it's crazy how how the tentacles reach out so young you know i i i was going to i was going like i said i went to billings bighorns camp that was 2000 miles away from my house my dad had no problem just putting me on a bus you know they don't they didn't fly you by plane they put you on a bus with a bunch of strangers and you end up in billings billings montana with a bunch of you know 100 other people that you don't know that are twice your age or not twice your age but five times you know five years older than you are and you know you're trying to do your business but you do it because that's what you do when did you get the word that you were going to the NHL? Um, I played junior hockey for the Regina Pats in Canada. You know, a great program, a great team. 
Um, and you know, you're 17 years old and they come find you like the agents, just like I said, Carrie, you know, they, they come find you. I knew even before I went to Regina that obviously I had a, a great opportunity because I had, I had a bunch of strangers calling my parents and coming to my house and taking me and my parents to dinner. This is back then. Imagine, I don't you know, now it must, now it must be insane. You know, the kids are making, you know, back then when I was that age, just knowing you were getting drafted was cool. Now at that age, there are junior hockey players that are already 16, 17 years old. They're making $250,000 a year before they even get drafted. You know, they, they pay junior hockey players now like pro hockey players. It's, it's, uh, it's an amazing world we live in, you know, uh, sports has changed. The, the game is about money. The game is about talent and everybody's getting their hay. And you got drafted by the Bruins, right? The first, when you, when you made it to the NHL, the first major team that you played for was the Bruins. Yeah, no, I, you know, it, it's, it's a pretty cool story. Um, I played high school hockey at Notre Dame College in Wilcox, Saskatchewan. It's a, a it's a high school phenomenon hockey production. You know, the, there's so many kids that have turned pro to there. Um, the year I got drafted, my teammates at high school, Gordy Kluzak went number one overall. Brian Kern, I think, went 32nd in the draft in the second round and I went 38th or 39th overall in the second round. So three kids that played high school hockey together ended up getting drafted by the Boston Bruins together. Um, it was, it was pretty phenomenal. And that was in 83, right? When you went pro 82, I played games in 83. Yeah. That was a, they called me up. I, I, I played in the world junior team, uh, for Canada over in Sweden. And, uh, when I came back from Canada right away, the Bruins called me up for 10 games. So that was my, my first experience, which was incredible. Back in the early eighties, when you're talking about playing for the Bruins, you were playing with amazing hockey players on the Bruins. I mean, just talk about some of the most legendary players that you took the ice with. Wearing the black and gold. Well, it was like it was like anything. You know, all young players get to play with guys that are established or amazing. And you know, I was lucky enough um, to play with Wayne Cashman and John Stan Jonathan. My, I mean, one of my favorite stories is I, I, w- I was going to pee my pants. I w- my first training camp, Jerry Cheevers, the legendary goalie for the Bruins, is our coach. John Rattel was assistant coach. Now uh, the late great Gary Doak um, was an assistant coach, and they lined me up against Stan Jonathan. And I, I was just—I was just in my head. I was just like, you know what? Go ahead, Stan. Take the puck. I'll go back to junior. I'm good. I'll see you next year. We're—I'm, you know, the, one of the toughest guys ever to play with the Bruins, and that was my first shift ever at training camp. So I learned early on, you know, the the toughness and the legend that was, you know, the big bad Bruins. And 
I'm glad it sunk in and I was lucky enough to, uh, you know, wear the jersey for a long time. You're known as being the tough guy, the goon, as there is so affectionately known in hockey, but you didn't start out as just the tough guy playing hockey. You were a skilled player. When did well, you that- go from being that skilled guy to being the guy they brought in to go beat some ass? Well, it's, it's like anything, you know, I, I had, had an incredible first year. Um, you know, I got called up to the Bruins, like I said, in 83, and I had an incredible five games. I, I was there for 10 games. And then the next year I made the team and I was a part of a great line with Jeff Cornell and Tommy Fergus. And we were doing incredibly well. And then I blew my knee out and that kind of ruined my, you know, my first real season with the Bruins. And then the next year I came back, um, I ended up breaking my wrist and missing almost a year and even more than a year. So I kind of had to figure my way. I was in the minors and um, Terry O'Reilly became the coach at the time who I played with when I was early on in my career. And I knew what his game was all about. You know, he's one of the most prolific and, you know, obviously a Hall of Fame Boston Bruin. And I I said to myself, I was in the minors and I said, I'm going to fight the three toughest guys for the next 10 games. If I don't get called up, I'm going to quit. And so I fought the three toughest guys for three games and I got called up the next week. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, thanks to Terry O'Reilly, obviously. And then I got partnered up with uh, Billy O'Dwyer and, and Jay Miller, who Jay Miller was my line mate, and he's, you know, one of my best friends. And he was probably one of the, I would put him as one of the, you know, top three toughest guys that ever played for the Bruins and one of the top ten toughest guys that ever played the NHL. And so you know, we had a good run together. You talk about these catastrophic injuries like it's no big deal. It was no big deal. <laughs> you know, the back 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 then it was I mean I remember I remember I, I broke my thumb and they put a pin in my thumb and they had to leave the pin out on the end of the thumb and they bent it over so um, it didn't poke somebody or whatever. And I remember having a half cast and I, I didn't miss a game. I ended up, I ended up fighting a bunch of times with, you know, the, the pin of my thumb. And that's just what you did back in the day. I'm, I mean, gosh, you know, you break your jaw, put a screen on, you're playing the next day. You didn't, it was no sweat, you know, so the, you know, so the job, you're good to go. If you thought about it, could you list everything that you've broken? No, I, I, I say that all the time. Every time Annie takes me to the hospital, uh, they, you always got to sign that sheet. You, you know, they make you fill out the paperwork and it's like list your injuries. And I just list too many to, too many to mention. <laughs> I'm like, forget about how many, Crazy. Su- how many surgeries do you think you've had? 
Well, I got a pin in my left foot, a major fracture dislocation on my right wrist. Uh, I have two bank heart procedures, which is total reconstruction of your shoulders. I have a dislocated elbow. Uh, I had all my I had all, all my teeth knocked out. I had all my bottom teeth knocked out, um, which was pretty cool because uh, they took me off the ice and the linesman picked up all my teeth and they took me to the dentist's office and the doctor sewed. I had 30 stitches on the invisible stitches to sew my lip together and then 30 stitches to sew the outside of my lip together and they put all my teeth back into each hole because they came out whole. So they put them all back in and wired my jaw shut because I had a broken jaw and I still have all my teeth. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And then, you know, the, you know, the multiple face stitches, you know, I mean, one of my favorite, you know, you get a ton of stitches in your face, you know, nose, obviously with the broken noses, that's, that's just a regular occurrence when you play hockey. But, you know, I've got a couple hundred stitches probably, you know, in my face. And my favorite one was when I played for San Jose. I I was fighting Warren Reichel. And I punched him with the first punch and hit him pretty good. And when I went to hit him again, he wasn't there. And so my I swung myself, my hand, and the energy that I used to hit him. But there was no one there. I spun myself to the ice. and I. The, the biggest I got over my right eye, I got, it was like 38 stitches. And I got a nice calcium deposit to show for it. And it was because you knocked yourself out. I knocked myself out. <laughs> I never knocked, I was never knocked out my whole career. I only bled twice thanks to Kenny Baumgartner. I have a cut under my eye. I think it's my left eye. And he hit the exact... He hit me. It, it, how funny is this? So he's a lefty and he hit me and I have a, a three inch cut under my left eye. And that was the first time I ever bled. And then I fought him again for payback. I wanted to get him back. And he cut me on the exact same scar that opened up for three more, more stitches on the exact same cut. How bizarre is that? That's pretty funny. <laughs> You, there was a heyday with the Bruins in the late 80s and kind of early 90s. And, you know, even for somebody like me that grew up just a homer, just a just a local sports fan, because my dad always was just a local sports fan. Celtics, Bruins, Patriots, Red Sox. It's you're born into it. It's who you love. And you played with guys, legendary guys like Cam Neely and Ray Bork, guys that OT, don't forget OT. Yeah, like like there was this era. And we got shoe. We got Bruce Shoe Bottom, the shoe dog. I mean, you played with these amazing guys, and you were the guy that when somebody fucked with Cam, you were the guy that they sent in there. Well, they and they would always get mad at me. Ray and Ray and Cam would always get mad at me for jumping in. Cause they're like, I can, I can protect myself. I'm like, just score the goals. Just, you know, rush down the ice and score a goal, Bubba. You're good. <laughs> I got, I got this. 
and you know a lot of people don't you know a lot of people i think a lot of bruins fans understand how tough cam was you know he was a beast and a lot of people don't secretly know that ray bork was super tough he fought with both hands um he you know he never got his ass kicked and he played like a beast he was he 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 hit you know he was one of those guys you know you you know when people talk about hockey they're like no one hits Gretzky because everybody gets their ass kicked well everybody everybody hit Ray Bork or tried to hit Ray Bork and Ray Bork never took any shit at all ever and hit back twice as hard. You know, he used to bundle every superstar in the league coming down his side. Uh, you know, he had the, you know, he was, he was incredible. Obviously 21 years and a Stanley cup. Can you talk about the mid to late eighties in Boston? Because the Celtics were in the middle of their tear. I don't think, are, are we, are we, are we censored? No, this is the internet. It's a podcast. So here's what I want people to understand. In the mid to late 80s in Boston, the Celtics were in the middle of the Larry Bird Big Three era. Sure. The Bruins, you know, are the, what we're talking about right now. The The Patriots went to the Super Bowl against the Bears and the Super yeah. Bowl shuffle yeah. and all that. And then the Red Sox, obviously, the, the Buckner ball that was 86 so at that era it's kind of like how it's been in boston as of late that all the teams were firing on all cylinders whether they won the championships or not eyes were on boston sports as a professional athlete in the middle of all of that at that time with no smartphones and no Twitter and no camera phones and no way to document it, how crazy was it to be a professional athlete in Boston in the mid to late '80s? Well, if it, you know, I don't know what they have, you know, as far as uh, going back to look at what happened at Daisy Buchanan's, but it was it was a different time. It was. It was incredible. We were all, we all ran together. Um, we all, I mean, it's, it's like now you just, you don't see it because, you know, all the guys, they have a place that they can hang out that, that comfort them and don't allow them to be videoed or, you know, cell phone or whatever. Back then, no one cared. No one, everybody just wanted to hang out. And, and we wanted to hang out with everybody and, and all the teams hung out together, all the guys, you know, all us single guys from all the teams all ran together and we went to everybody's game. We had a great time together, but it was, it was, it, it was, a, it was a good time to be a single pro athlete in Boston. I'll just say that Carrie, <laughs> you, you didn't, you didn't miss out on anything back in the day, you know? And I think the cool, the cool thing about Boston was as much fun as we had. And I think we all felt the same way is that we all acted the same way. The players acted before us, the Red Sox players back in the day, like Kent, you know, Roger and Ellis Burks and, and Tim Nearing and, you know, and, you know, I, I mean, you know, I dated Bill Walton's niece back in the day, so I was super tight with the Celtics and 
you know, I, I, I went to, you know, a lot of playoffs games, you know, in Boston, in LA against the LA Lakers um, during the finals. And it was, you were just very lucky to be able to be a part of that family. And, and back then, people weren't taking videos to send you down the river. People were hanging out to say hi and have a good time. And, and it was, it was, it was a good time to be a pro athlete for sure. When you think back to those times, because you and I ended up working together at WAF and, and of course this is a rock lifestyle podcast. Yeah. Talk about some of the songs that if you heard them right now would remind you of those days, the pre WAF days when you were just the hockey player running around Boston, like what music could you hear that that puts you right back there? Oh God, you're, you're, you're working on my old age and my memory. I mean, obviously, you know, ACDC, obviously, um, oh God, I'm trying to think of, the song, uh, they played it. The guy on ZLX played it before every home game. At you know, we used to we used to have the warm up, and we get ready to go out for the one. We play music till six twenty before we go out for warm up, and he timed it out. So the Black Betty, uh, Ram, Ram Jam, Ram Jam, he timed it out so that would be the last song that we would play in the locker room that would end at 6:20 and the radio you know radio would go off and we go out for warm up for the game god i feel bad i forget the guy's name but he played it the whole playoffs for like 2 years back you know we were on a heyday there um from eight, you know 80 86 to 90 it was it was nuts. It was it was crazy cool, but you know we. It, I'll, I'll here's a great story about how how times have changed. Harry Sinden Harry Sinden was one of my coaches early on in my career, and I had a Walkman back in the day, and I used to sit and crank Ram Jam. I, I used to just crank rock and roll while I was sitting in my stall. And I remember Harry coming up to me and ripping my ripping it out of my hands. So I take the ear earphones out. I'm like, what what's what's the problem? He's like, start concentrating on the game. Pay attention. Think about what you're doing. And then you think about sports now. It's like they all have endorsement oh, deals from headphone companies now. Yeah, well, and that that in the stadium. The stadium during pregame is cranking tunes that are so loud as you know, no one can even think. It's uh, it's funny how times have changed for sure. I bring up the music because there was a time where your chocolate started getting in your peanut butter, meaning you you started becoming more than just a hockey player. And at the time, I had started interning at AAF, but. Did you end up at AAF because you were in the extreme music video or did you end up in the extreme music video? <laughs> how did, how did that happen? And when did you start calling in to AAF? When did that happen? Um, it all, I, I, you know, I'm not sure what happened first. I, 
the the whole hearted video happened because um, Pat Badger and the guys, all the guys from his stream were hockey fans and sports fans, and um, we were lucky enough to they were or they were nice enough to allow us to be in there. Their wholehearted video, but um, I did I did that before, but I knew Hillman um, for a long time, and he was nice enough. It just it was so random. He called me um, after I was retired for a bit and tearing it up and ripping it up at Kai's. He called me and said, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm going on vacation for Christmas. Do you want to fill in for the week?" And I, I was like, wow, this is cool. And I, I still, I don't, I still haven't heard any of the broadcast, but um, it ended up being obviously maybe good enough or our friendship was good enough that uh, he asked me to be a part of the show. And then the next 23 years of mayhem happened, which was, I got to give him credit. The guy's got the most patient on patience on the planet because i think uh, there's not a lot a lot of people that could pull off what i pulled off at a job and still have a job <laughs> well you you quit well you didn't quit but you ended your professional hockey career in what 95 yeah i it just got to the point where you know i you just get old and you know, I'm, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm not going out getting my lights punched out by a bunch of six, four, 225 pound, 20 year olds. You know, I, I was, I was, you know, I didn't, you know, I was pretty happy with my career and I just realized that, you know, time is, you know, time, time catches up to you. And I was with the Hartford Whalers and, the NHL strike happened and, and um, I was at their training camp and they're like, you know, do you want to go down and, you know, go, you know, go down and play and when the strike's over, you know, we'll have you back. And I was just like, there's no way I'm going down and fighting every night against all these young guys full of piss and vinegar. I'm like, I did good. I didn't, you know, I just didn't want to go out of my career, getting my lights, lights punched out. So, I was on the street team at AAF, meaning sure. I worked part-time in the promotions department, driving the van, handing out the bumper stickers, setting up the live broadcast for the DJs. I and started... now look where you are. You're amazing. <laughs> but I was... You, had, you, you, you know, not for nothing, you had an incredible career. Well, I mean... I only worked at one. I was at AAF for 29 years. I started as yeah. an intern in 91. Speaking of extreme, my first day as an intern was July 1st, 1991, which is when the AAF DJs played extreme in celebrity softball. And I still have the T-shirt from the softball game, so that's how I remember the date. So cool. I remember being on the street team and you starting to be around and 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 jumping in with the morning show and when did you become a full-time member of the morning show gosh um uh oh, i think it was i think it was 1997 i think in the winter of 1997 i think that 
I ended up being a like full-time contributor. And then I started on the air full-time like six months later. I started on the air um, at night starting in April of 1998. So we basically kind of started around the same time. Yeah. And if you go back and think about 97... Opie and Anthony are still on the air in the afternoon. Pop, pop and Akiak, yeah. Rocco man. was on the air at night back then. God bless him. And then you go into 98 after Opie and Anthony got fired and Rocco got promoted to afternoons and they put me on at night. For your memory and your perspective, what? how would you describe what WAF was then? Mayhem. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, you know, obviously the world's changed and times have changed, but I, I would never take back anything. I think that it's very special that we're all, that we're having this conversation right now. Rocco was a legend, was epic. Op, op, and Akak, enough said, they went on to fame and fortune and crushed it. Um, and you're, got famous you, for getting fired too. Like nobody got yeah, fired like Opie and Anthony. Like those guys, those guys when they did something, they they went all out. Well, that was I. You know, I mean, I I I don't know if I'll get in trouble for saying it, but I don't. You know, the world we live in now, I guess it wouldn't be a funny joke, and it wasn't a lot of people took it the wrong way back then. But as far as an April first joke. That's that's all in. That's, oh, they... that's, that's incredible. That was that was amazing. It's too bad everybody took it so personal because no one would ever mean anything bad to happen to anybody. But basically, for I mean, anybody that doesn't know, Opie and Anthony went on the air in April of two of nineteen ninety eight and said that the very famous, infamous mayor of Boston, Tom Menino, had died in a car accident in Florida. And supposedly the family thought it was true. And Well, he was on a plane. He was on a plane leaving to, to fly down to Florida to be with his family. So he was in dead air time. So no one would ever know what really happened. So that was the genius of the joke which wasn't really which ended up you know and opie and anthony claim that they got permission from management management said they went rogue it was a disaster they got fired over it which is what opened up the slot for me to get hired because yeah. they promoted rocco from being the night guy to take over for opie and anthony and that opened up the night slot and so that's how I ended up on the air full time was because of that vacancy that was created after all the shifting around because of Opie and Anthony getting fired. So I've thanked both of them multiple times because them getting fired was the best opportunity I ever had. Yeah, well, I, you know, I used to love going on their show, you know, when they were on AAF. I used to I used to get off the morning and and uh, hang around so I could I could jump in with them. They were. They're two incredibly talented guys, and obviously, you know, it, it worked out incredible for them. Then, it, it's so crazy, because when I think back of 
all of the things that we did together on the air at WAF. It's like I was on the air full time for 22 years. You, it was 23 years. And when it comes to take no prisoners, balls to the wall, (laughs) rock radio stations in the United States, if WAF wasn't the top one, we were in the top three, no argument. And yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I take a lot of pride and so should you and so should everybody, Hillman and Mike Shu and and everybody that worked at AF. I mean, I mean, think about think about when we first started. WBCN was a beast and and we buried the you know, we took over number one and we're number one for a long, long time. And not that, you know, I want to crush anybody's career you know that's not what that wasn't the point it was about waking up and having fun and do what you know you have fun doing but you know we should all be very proud and you should be very proud of your careers i mean and af is it's it's epic it's a legendary station that'll be legendary forever along those years there was a lot of craziness on and off the air. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. And when I had Kevin Barbary on the podcast, we talked about this a little bit. But from my perspective, as the night jock and then the midday jock and then the afternoon jock and then the midday jock again, From my perspective, there were always two sets of rules, right? There was what the Hillman Morning Show could do, and then there was what everyone else was allowed to do. And I was in that what everyone else is allowed to do part of the staff. Yeah. Amongst the Hillman Morning Show, though, there was what everyone else got away with, and then there was what LB got away with. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm, thank- I'm thankful for that. Because, like, for example, I know that if I had gotten a DUI and ended up in jail, it would have cost me my job. What, 60 days? What's the big deal? They, they would have fired me over that. You? Oh, yeah, but... It- you, they turn it into a promotion. Well, I, I, I don't even know to this day, and I don't know if it was Hillman or Bob Goodell or like in sales who came up with free LB. But it was, it was incredible, man. I mean, even the prison trucks had free LB written in dust, semi-trailers, like hundreds of thousands of cars. It was, it was cool. I want to thank everybody because that's probably why I get my job. (laughs) And then you get released from jail and Hillman being the marketing genius that can tie anything into a sponsor and an opportunity has a party at the Capitol grill, which they renamed the Capitol punishment grill and they celebrated you getting out of jail with a live broadcast at one of the nicest restaurants in the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Chris Scott, for having a sense of humor. Um, 
and thank you to Hillman. Hillman sent a limo. I don't know how many people get out of jail, walk out of jail, and get in a limo and, and go to a, a six-star restaurant for a, a porterhouse steak done perfectly how you want it. Didn't it Aaron good. Lewis from Stained play acoustic at that party? Oh, gosh. I'm not sure if he did or if he was just there. Yeah, Aaron's the best, though. You keep in touch with him? Aaron's, you know, he's he, there's another guy that's so loyal to AAF and, you know, obviously done incredible things in his life. I saw him back in January. Nice. Um, before, obviously, before COVID got, yeah, you know, crazy. Yeah, and, crazy. Um, but I got to tell you, like, over the years, now, now that now that the station's been gone, I mean, I've talked about it so many times. This is episode twenty six of the podcast, so you know, AAF going off the air at the end of February. Sure. I've had a long time to kind of do the postmortem on it and to look back at it. And it was really hard in some instances, at least for me. I'm not going to speak for anybody else. But there were times where it was incredibly hard to be the reliable one that would, okay, well, we, we'll make Carrie do it because we can't rely on LB or we know the morning show is going to be late. And so we know Carrie will stay sober and she'll be responsible and she'll pay, you know, she'll thank the sponsors and do all of that stuff. And so for as much fun as we all had, there was definitely not an equal division of labor. (laughs) I guess is the nicest way to say it. You're talking, you're talking to the wrong guy. (laughs) I I didn't know what I there was labor involved. <laughs> yes. What? Get out. Yeah. Yeah, well, we had pre- we had like stuff to do, dude. I appreciate you picking up my socks. <laughs> now, you know, and and again, as irresponsible as I was, I you know, you're you're a very special person. You're obviously very dedicated, and a lot of people don't know how much you you know you did behind the scenes. Not you know, obviously you did what you do on the air, which was awesome. But um, hold on one sec. Have fun, big dog. I love you. Will's off to hockey. Ah, Annie, I love you. You're amazing. She's just like flipping me the bird every time I say something to you. <laughs> <laughs> again, steal, stealing it again. Right? You got you always yeah, got women. I've done it again, AF and now my beautiful my beautiful life and my awesome life with Annie and Will. When I look back at some of the the crazy things and the crazy times People ask me all the time, was it was it as nuts as it sounded? And I'm like, you don't even know the half of it because we couldn't say half the things on the air that was going on because we would have lost our FCC license. But I think back about some of the things that either happened on the morning show or happened in the building, like Zach Wilde pulling up the tour bus when he was still in his drinking days. <laughs> and Zacharella. She- 
And that was Zacharella. Yeah, and showing up in the morning show in full drag. With a, with a case of Heineken, because he was sponsored by Heine. And showing up in the morning show, like kicking the door in at like 7 in the morning. Remember? Then he then he kicked the door into the conference room and fired, fired the entire sales staff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, but, but again, Carrie, uh, you know, the best part about it is what people and what your, your podcast listeners need to know is it was all real. Everything was in real time. There was no one, no one lied to each other. No one fake helloed everybody in the morning. No one behind their back FU'd somebody because they had, we all had the sack to go F fuck you to your face. You know, we were all very passionate and, and loyal and, and that's what, that's what made the station great. And that's what that, I mean, that's what makes it special to talk to you now. You know, I'm, you know, I, it, it was, it was, uh, it was an incredibly special time. And, uh, you know, it, you know, I, I, you know, I appreciate everything that I've gotten in my life. You know, the 23 years gave me a huge, huge up in life and a huge, you know, Obviously, my family and and everything is incredible, and that's all started with AF. Towards, I don't know, maybe 2017, 2018, I want to talk about when things really started to get scary for you, going back to the injuries, because from the perspective of people that worked with you and saw you every day, Things really started to change for you with how it is that you were functioning every day. And it wasn't just drinking because like we talked about, you started drinking at a young age. You Drinking was as commonplace as breathing for you your whole life. Sure. You're a professional athlete in a city that's known for partying. I mean, working at a legendary partying rock station, but things started to get scary. And I remember having conversations with other people because people were really worried about you in the the last few years before, you know, Hillman left to go to EEI, before you quit, before the station went off the air. And you were, you were going back and forth to California. What was going on? Well, it's like anything, Carrie, you know, I, I, I'm dealing, you know, obviously with some physical, serious physical injuries that, I mean, I, you know, I feel bad cause you know, I, I don't think I should have walked away on my shoe the way I did. And, you know, obviously I can't change that, but it got to the point where, I was in so much pain that I couldn't even be me or I didn't think I was entertaining because I was, I, I couldn't sit. And then I stood and then every break I'd go to the office and sit down, you know, and you know, they, you know, the doctors, you know, they just prescribe Oxycontin and I was like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to become a drug addict. And so I just figured, you know, I'd, 
I try and just mute the pain with with a, with a little, you know, with with alcohol. And then obviously it just got to the point where I was interfering with Mike Shue and I was interfering with people at the station. And I just thought, you know, the best thing to do is just walk away, have a great career. And, um, you know, I shouldn't have done it the way I did it. But, you know, I went back and I talked to Joe and I said I was sorry. And uh, I tried to, you know, let him know to apologize to everybody. But I was in a situation which I'm still, you know, in a bad situation. My hip is really, 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 really bad. I've had, you know, four surgeries. Um, it's not getting any better. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm missing out on my child, you know, Will's hockey. I'm missing out on half his life. And, to, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a tough situation, which we're trying to get through, but, you know, it is what it is. You know, I've earned it. I own it. And that's how it's going to go down. So. You had you know, another surgery in September, right? Yeah. Now I, it, it's been nuts. I got a crazy infection where they had to take my hip out of my body. And, and, uh, that was just insane amounts of pain where, you know, you couldn't even walk and, you know, it's, you know, it's pretty incredible to lay on your couch for seven months and not be able to move. And yeah, it, it was, it's been hairy, but we're, we're getting through it. I'm, I'm much better. I walked like 20 steps today and, uh, which was very inspiring. So I'm excited. <laughs> so it's good. And my family still loves me. They just, they went off to hockey and everything's good. I got turkey and cranberry sandwiches sitting in front of me. So we're happy days. You also started having to go to the doctor because of what was going on with your brain. Yeah. And over the last few years, obviously, there have been intense conversations when it comes to football and contact sports with CTE, which is sure. something that a decade ago nobody wanted to talk about. And, and, you know, obviously the major sports teams did everything they could to keep this trend and medical research from even seeing the light of day. Is that what was going on with you? Because you were going to a place, and I mean, you talked about all of this on the air. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm, you know, delving into your, you know, private <laughs> medical records and, oh, and violating <laughs> and violating now in 2020. Now you're now you're now you're digging. <laughs> I know, right? But like, I'm not violating HIPAA. These are things that you yeah. would talk about on the air all the time. And I remember you having conversations and talking about hallucinating and running around the neighborhood. And, you know, it, are you still dealing with brain stuff, too? Yeah, it's it's uh, it, you know, again, it's a process. And and, you know, I don't you know, I don't want, I'm not going to pretend to be the victim because I think there has been tons of so much medical technology that is helping um people and i don't think that i don't think that brain trauma in sports is any worse than than blowing out your knee or blowing out your hip or you know 
breaking an ankle and never having, you know, never not being able to ever play again in football or baseball or, you know, getting hit with a bean ball. Um, technology is amazing. Doctors and, 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 you know, medical staffs around the world are trying to help um, athletes just like medical staffs around the world try and help you know, someone with cancer, someone, you know, with with any other medical issue that is a life-threatening issue or a life-changing issue. Um, you know, people like myself that have mental illness that I don't think the way I live my life, I, you know, I've come to terms with that and talked to doctors about that. Um, you know, I don't think I've helped myself uh when it comes to how i'm feeling but uh, you know again i have a beautiful family uh you know your life changes it, it just you know mental illness changes things you know like driving is scary that was the last crazy incident that i had you know i don't drive or i don't you know we're smart enough annie and i uh, to not allow myself to drive because I would never want to put anyone else in harm's way. And I had a really, I had a really scary incident. And, you know, thanks to the Holliston Police Department and my beautiful wife, uh, nothing bad happened, but it was, it was, it was mayhem at its finest. And I'm just very thankful that, um, you know, I didn't hurt someone. And so, uh, it, it's a daily process. Uh, and that's basically, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot more I can say about it. Cause I, I get tired of going to the doctors. Um, I hate bothering people, you know, about, you know, my issues with my squash. So, um, Annie and I have, you know, come to terms with that and, I just try and keep life as simple as possible um, so that I don't upset the, the tea kettle. <laughs> when people ask me about like LB stories, I tell them this one, that we were going to broadcast from the Broken Spoke up at Laconia Bike Week. Sure. And I was going to meet you up there and you were going to jump on the broadcast with me and you were late as LB always was, and sure. you showed up with staples in your head Yeah, because you were riding in New Hampshire without a helmet and you crashed and you went to the hospital and they fixed you up and stapled your head back together and you still made it to the broken spoke before the end of my broadcast. Well, do you know the incredible part of that whole story was that that day that I, I and, and we were just we were just taking a left to come in the backside to, to come to the spoke and I hit sand and I took a I took a digger and lucky for me that I was with the brawler and there were I don't even know how how this always happens to me but it always does I always fall on the shit two nurses from the mass general hospital are at the till buying something 
at this confectionery right where you take a left to go in the back side to go up to the spoke. And so they were lucky enough to come running outside. And I still feel bad to this day because the brawler was wearing his favorite T-shirt. And if everybody doesn't know, Jerry, my buddy, the brawler, he he's shredded. He's a, he's an ex-professional wrestler, bald, bald head. Intimidating cut, guy, but one of the sweetest oh, cut, people yeah. on the planet. <laughs> yes. And but but cut to the nines and the nurses come running out and I'm doing the pineapple two step in the middle of the road. And two other bikers are nice enough to take take my bike and push it over to the back of the confectionery or whatever the you know store and the nurses are trying to get me to lay down and i'm like i'm okay i'm good i'm okay and blood i guess was squirting from my head every time my heart beat blood was squirting like 10 feet and they're like we need a t-shirt we need it we need some we gotta we need some for his head and the brawler he looked down, he said he looked down at his shirt and he took two seconds and then he ripped it off like Hulk Hogan and gave it to the nurses and they put it on my head and got me to the side of the road. And then I was pissed because they made they made me get in the ambulance. And so we, uh, the brawler and I, who else was with us? I don't know if it was Mikey Squires was with us. Somebody else, there was two of us or three of us together. So they load me into the ambulance. They take me to the hospital. They fall on the bikes. We get into the emergency at the hospital. And if you can believe it, it was it was the same time where the tractor trailer blew into the parking lot, hit the bikers at Laconia. And so all these people were sitting in the waiting room and we come, we come flying in, and I didn't even stop. I didn't even. I don't. You know, I I don't remember really what what happened. You know, the brawler told me afterwards, but I walked right through everybody. I walked by the front desk and I went into a waiting room. And some doctor came in, and he was like, "What's going on?" And I'm like, "Well, I got this, you know, thing on my head." And the brawler and and uh, Mike are there, and I go. I got to get to. I got to get. I got to get back. I got to get back to the broken spoke man. And he's like, "Well, I go." He goes, "We can't stitch it." I go, "Just." He goes, "We can staple it." I'm like, "Well, just staple it." So he staples my head shut, and then he's like, "Well, you're gonna have to come back next week so I can take the staples out." And I'm like, "I'm not taking the staple. I'm not coming back next week." I go, what do you use to take the staples out? And he, so he gives me the actual tool to take the staples out of my head a week from, you know, the, you know, Saturday or Friday or whatever day it was. So we end up going back. We make the party. I end up back at your broadcast late with a, with staples in my head and all was good. Yeah. <laughs> and people look at me when I tell them that story and they're like, there's no way. I'm like, you don't have any idea. Like, these things are true. These things, <laughs> th this is, 
for the good, the bad, whatever, it's true. They're all, all the stories you've heard are true. I never lie. I never, I, I, I may embellish a little bit because I don't remember because it was a long time ago, but all the stories, all the stories are true. And the best part about that story was he gave me the tool. So a week later, we're at Richie's, we're at Asshole's Garage and we're tearing it up the next weekend. And I said to Annie, I'm like, you know, you know, we're all crushing some wobbly pops, having a good time. And I said to Annie, I'm like, take, got to take the staples out. And so she was using the tool, but she was using it the wrong way. So it wasn't opening the staple. So the hooks were like pulling out of my skull every time she tried to take it out. And I was like, what are you doing? Come on. And so she's getting frustrated. And then Richie came over and he looked at the tool. He's like, oh, okay. Bing, 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 bing. All 10, all 10 staples came out. So we were good. You keep talking about Annie. So obviously, if you're a diehard AF fan, we know who Annie is. But I want to backtrack a little bit just to talk about your family like lineage and the history of. So you have three kids and yes. you have two daughters that, yes. that are much by, by, by two ex-wives. Right. And then you meet this girl and this is from our perspective, right? Sure. You meet this girl and you start dating Annie and we all meet her having known you for as long as we all did working with you every day. And yeah. we're like, oh, my God, this girl is way too nice. And <laughs> and this is a recipe for disaster because it's LB. And this girl, Annie, is such a sweetheart. And we we were worried for her because it was obvious from the beginning that she just loved you. And yeah, yeah. you guys have been together now for how many years? Uh, I think we're coming up we're coming up on 15. And you got married in was it 0708? Yeah. You know, it I got the month August at some point. Were you waiting for the date? No, no, because I, I, I know <laughs> I know well enough with LB that there are some things that you remember so vividly. Yeah. And then there are other things that could have happened 20 years later that are foggy. Oh, yeah. Oh, my, my, yeah. No, most definitely. Most definitely. It's amazing. I can pull I can pull shit out of my ass from when I was seven and nipple in Saskatchewan, but I can't remember two days ago. It's really weird the way that the brain works that way. Sure. But talk to me, especially as of late, the last few years and all of your really significant health scares and the self-medicating. Talk to me about what she has meant to you oh well my rock and i you know it's it you know i never forget to tell her every day 
but you know, a, a lot with me has changed obviously due to my health and, um, and, you know, because I, you know, I don't want to be a complete shit bum and, you know, to my family who deserve better. So things are a, a whole lot better. And, you know, it's been, it's been a long time and everything's been really great. And, you know, she's just been, a, she's been an angel, you, you know, with, with my hip and stuff, you know, I can't go to my son's hockey games. You know, I missed that a ton. He's really loves hockey and he's a good little guy loves his friends you know just he's just a really great kid smart in school and I'm, I'm sure you know everybody says the same thing about their kids so I'm gonna say the same thing about my kid now you know and he's he's stuck through it he's he's been there for me you know we we watch movies together and we do family nights together and you know it's a, it's a, it's a different it's a different world and I appreciate it you know did I ever believe that this would I I guess it's one of those things I I never understood what a a real family and and what true family life is like where people love each other through thick and thin and no excuses and so it's it's been it's been awesome and you know it's helped me get through this you know the whole hip thing I'm you know, I, I was pumped today. You know, I, I got to walk like 10 or 15 steps today without the walker crutches. So that was huge. So, you know, I see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. You sent me some pictures of how big Will is. Yeah. And then you sent me a picture of his hockey helmet because he's not taking after his dad with the skates on. He's a goalie. Yeah, he's he's a nut job. He's great. I'm, I'm really excited for him. Scott McKay was nice enough. He's the guy. He's an artist. He paints. If anybody wants to look him up, he paints motorcycles and he painted he my a, motorcycle. Yeah, he's 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 incredible. He he put the sickest paint job on Will's mask. It's it's. Uh, it's unbelievable. I I was telling Will, um, um, you know, well, you you you'll you respect this, Carrie, because you're like you don't want to mess up the paint job. I'm like only wear it during games. You can only you. I got you a white. So I had Annie buy another white mask that he can use for practice, so there's no scuff marks on the on the Dalai Lama mask. But uh, yeah, Scott gave him the sickest kings, South Shore kings for everybody that cares. Um, it's a great program. He has great coaches and uh, the team. He's been with the program now for, I think, oh gosh, four or five, four or five years. If you want to go, anybody that's listening that you want to go online and see Scott's work, the name of his oh. company is Thin Air Graphics. And his his work is unbelievable. I mean, he painted yeah. my motorcycle back when I got it in 03 and it's still I still get compliments about the paint job and, and, you know, he just, he's so talented and can obviously paint anything, not just motorcycles and cars, but obviously in your case, a pretty badass goalie helmet. Uh, I was, I was so excited that he agreed to do it. You know, obviously he's busy doing other major jobs and uh, you know, I can't think of enough to throw, you know, a young kid's, 
goalie mask in the mix while he was while he was uh, jammed out. I mean, he even paints all of the animals that are on the uh, the carousel on the Rose Fitzgerald, uh, Rose Fitzgerald Kennedy Greenway, the carousel that's wow. right downtown. Like, you know, you get on the merry-go-round and you can ride like, you know, turtles and lobsters and all of that. He paints, if you've ever gone on that carousel, like he paints all of those as well. And it's, his work is impeccable. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to look him up. You, you know, he's, he's phenomenal. I can't thank him enough. My, my son, I, he put, he put Will over big time. What is it like, how do you feel about having your son? How old is he now? Uh, he's going to be 11 coming up here in January. I mean, you've, you've got a son now that is coming into the ages that we talked about with you when you went from being a kid that just liked to play hockey to a kid that was identified as a, as a real talent and started getting exposed like you were talking about to these older guys in the minors and, and how you had to kind of grow up really fast. Will is starting to get to that age. Are, are you afraid for him? How do you? No, no not at all, Kerry. I think, I think it's just, a, you know, it's the way life works. You know, I, it, I, I would equate it to you send your school, uh, you send your son or your daughter to school every day, but you, you know, you don't fret all day that they're getting their ass kicked at recess. I mean, it might happen and, you know, it doesn't happen a lot, but you know, one day it could be your kid. One day it could be Will, you know, him and his friends are, they're into this client uh, tree climbing stage now. And I'm just waiting for the broken arm call. <laughs> I fell out of the tree, broken leg, broken arm, but that's what kids do. You know, you can't, you can't fight that. We have a great home. We, you know, his mom is incredible. You know, Annie loves him to death. I love him to death. And, but kids are going to be kids. And so, you know, it, you, I, it's like any parent, you know, I said, I, th I still think about because of how I grew up, you know, he's, he's going to be 11. So I start thinking about drugs. I start thinking about don't, you know, when do I have the discussion? Don't take pills from a stranger don't take pills don't get peer pressured to smoke don't get peer pressured to take a pill don't get peer pressured to drink so but you can you know he you know that you, you'd be the best parent you can be and and uh he's a smart kid and i think he's gonna be great if i had a nickel for every time someone has asked me about you in the last couple years sure I wouldn't have to ever make a mortgage payment ever again. <laughs> well, I, you know, tell everybody thanks. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing good. You know, again, physically, I have some issues. Mentally, I have some issues. But uh, our life is good. And anybody that wants to buy a 2001 Porsche, uh, it's in my garage. It's available. <laughs> I I can't get low enough to get in it. I'm pissed. When you the the last couple years of AAF, you were obviously part of the Hillman Morning Show for over 20 years. Yeah. And then in like August of 2019, 
they make the decision that they're going to move Hillman to WEI. They reshuffle, you know, everything at WAF. And you and Mike Shue are working and you, you know, working together doing afternoons. And you alluded to it earlier that, you know, the, the way that you left, which basically for anybody that didn't hear it, is that you were just on the air with Mike one day and literally in the middle of the show, you just quit and walked out. And that was the last time, like, it wasn't, people thought it was a bit. People thought it was a joke. Mike Shue came running into my office because I was the assistant program director and yeah. was like, LB just quit. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And the phone line, I mean, from the day that you quit until the day that we went off the air, we couldn't go a day without people asking because you went radio silent. And it's really hard in this day and age to kind of go radio silent with all of the opportunities with social media to keep tabs on people you went so quiet that people were like, oh, my God, what happened to LB? Is this serious? Have you talked to Mike Shue since that happened? I haven't, and and I, I should, and I apologize for, you know, it, it was just one of those, it was just one of those life moments that I, with everything that was going on at AF, I felt. I knew I knew that I I I didn't know the station was completely going to go see you later but I knew something was going on and I knew that my contract wasn't going to get picked up and I just I think I just had an LB moment where I'm like I'm not going to give him you know the best of me I'm and I I you know I did it the wrong way you know, for Mike Shue, because he's a great guy. He's an incredible radio talent. He's an incredible human being, great father, great husband, and a great friend. And I did it the wrong way. But I, in in my head, I was just like, you know what? I just felt like they were getting rid of me. And I felt like if they're getting rid of me, then something's going on with the station. I didn't really put, you know, I didn't know the big picture. But I was just like, you know what? That's it. And so I walked off the air and, and I tried to say bye in a nice way to the listeners. Nice, easy, quick. See ya. Thank you. You guys are awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I know incredible. I owe a credit in part of my life to them. They were, they were incredible listeners and you know, and great people and very loyal. And you know, that's why AF was such a great radio station is because the people that backed it and listened every day and were a part of the whole, the whole escapade. Everybody but, that's ever worked at AAF talks about how incredible the listeners were. Sure. And I've learned it myself since the last day we were on the air and how those listeners are still here. They stuck with me. They have been hanging out with me on cocktails in the war room. They listen to yeah, the podcast right. every week. Like they're <laughs> all still there. And I feel like everybody that's ever worked at WAF says the same thing about the listeners, that they're the greatest listeners ever, that they are the most genuine. They are the most generous They're that they are just the best people ever. Do you agree with that? hundred percent. Oh my God. 
I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a life, you know, if it wasn't for the Boston Bruins and the WAF community. And then in that community, I include yourself and all the salespeople and our friends behind the scenes that worked so hard to make the station uh, what it was. Um, you know, I mean, I take a lot of pride. I don't care what anybody says. BCM was a great place, but we kicked their ass and put them out of business. I mean, and that was because our listeners were incredibly loyal, awesome people that showed up at every event, every concert. I mean, I, you know, I, it, they're amazing. And, you know, and I'm glad you're, I, you know, it's why your podcast's doing good because you're amazing. You know, you're, you're AF family, you're a, a part of, something that grew and grew and grew from a long time ago, Carrie. I mean, you know, like you said, you were an intern and the next thing you know, you're one of the best radio personalities in the country. And, and, you know, and, and, and I'm glad everything's going awesome for you. And, and that's, it's, it all starts with the people that believe in us that think we're family and that's the listeners. Since, since the station's gone, I've had a really hard time with dealing with the fact that it's not there anymore. Like, it's it's like the death of, a, of someone you loved so much and every once in a while, like, something happens and you're like, oh, I got to call them and tell, oh, wait, they're gone. Like, do you have those moments, too, where you kind of forget that the station's gone and then it, it's like a recurring trauma almost. It's so weird. Well, you mean like when I want to grab a ski mask and a gun, go rob a bank and start AAF again? <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll go to jail. I'll go to jail for that. I can, I can, I can do it. I can do a, a bit on your show out of prison again. Not a problem. <laughs> I don't think we live in the world where you could get away with any of the crazy shit you did back in the day again. It, you know what? You know what's so funny that you say that because I was I was dreading because I didn't know what your podcast was about, and I was just I was fretting. I'm like, the world we live in now. What am I going to say? I can't. I can't be, I can't be LB because that won't fly. I can't talk about a whatever, whatever happened in Thailand because that just doesn't cut it in the world we live in now. So that, you know, I, I, LB, I, I, everybody knows your story about Thailand by now. You're not going to offend any new people. <laughs> I can't carry. I, I just don't want to, I don't want to tip the boat. We're good. We're good. Everybody that needs to know the story knows it. And if you know someone that's a huge Mistress Carrie fan, ask him about the story and you're going to be caught up. You'll be fine. <laughs> you now, only have five. You only you, you only have four fingers and a thumb. My story was better. <laughs> <laughs> now that you've got. I don't want to call it clarity, but I tried to get a hold of you from the time you quit last September on the air with Mike Shue, and I didn't speak to you for months. The only time that I talked to you was when Hillman got you to call in on the last day that the station was on the air. Yeah. And it was so nice to like 
to just hear you because we hadn't talked, we hadn't heard from you in like four and a half months at that point. Right. And then I had texted you and called and never really heard anything back. And then I was at the mall in August with my now husband, who was my fiance at the time. And we bumped into Kevin Barbary at the mall. And even though he was wearing a COVID mask, I still knew because of that majestic hair on his head that it was Kevin oh, Barbary. Of course. of course. And when he and I started talking at the mall, he was like, have you talked to LB? And I was like, no, have you? And he was like, yeah, he's doing really good. And I was like, what do you mean he's doing really good? Like, <laughs> and he was like, that can't be true. I'm like, you're, you're lying. Like he's, what do you mean? Like he's healthy? Like, what do you mean? And he's like, yeah, well, I mean, physically he's still, you know, whatever, but he, but he's happy and he's doing okay. And the next thing I know, I get a text from you because Kevin texted you saying, Carrie's been trying to get a hold of you. And then you text yeah. me and you're like, Hey, are you looking for me? And I'm like, yeah, I have been for like almost a year, bro. <laughs> and that's when we started talking about you coming on the podcast and you were like, I'm having another surgery next month. Once I recover from that surgery, we'll totally make it happen. And that's yeah. where we ended up here today. And now we're good. Now, happy days. With all the downtime that you have, all the time that you have to reflect and now, obviously, being older and wiser with an amazing wife and easy. a loving son. E e easy on the wiser. <laughs> <laughs> How hard is it for you to look back on the bad stuff and, and not be riddled with regret? Is it, I mean, do you even have the capacity to even regret any of your choices because you've got a lot of time to, because you're so injured, sit around and think about it. Yeah. Well, it, I, I went to rehab in Hazleton in Minnesota for 30 days and they teach you about, they make you write down uh, everything you regret and how much money you spent on booze and mayhem. And so I, I've been through, I've been through that and I'm well aware of, of what's going on. And I think it's important for me. Uh, I don't live the same life. Um, I, that's not to say I don't have a glass of wine with my wife or I don't um, meet my buddies for a beer at Casey's. I got a nice watering hole. It's only a quarter mile away. But, um, you know, the day, the upside down world of LB is right side up and um, I've wrapped my head around the fact that I have a beautiful wife and I have a 10 year old that depends on me and believes in me. And so, um, so we're good. And, you know, my, my whole goal now, Carrie, um, you know, is very seriously to, you know, to get my help in my hip right and get healthy so that I can, you know, be a part of my family's life and, that's all that really matters to me. We have a, we have a nice home, you know, on four acres in Halston. Um, everybody knows where we live. I have a seven foot Mountie Canadian mounted policeman that stands in the front of my driveway. Um, and I'm proud to be, you know, a Halston native and, and my, my son goes to school here, does well, has tons of friends here and we have friends here. And so, 
um, everything, everything is good, you know, for every, all the AFers and all the people that believe in me and my family, um, everything's awesome and we're doing great and I'll be healthy soon. The hardest thing for me to kind of wrap my brain around after the station went off the air in February was what the hell am I going to do now? And trying to re because I was at AAF for 29 years from the time I was 18. It's the only job I had ever had. You had to do that same thing when you left hockey because you had played oh, hockey hey, your whole life. Yeah. Hold on. Thanks brother. Okay. Hammy say hi. <laughs> my dog just got dropped off. He has play days on Monday and Friday at, at the kennel. And <laughs> sorry, that was my that was Mikey. He's he's a legend. He's Hammy's best buddy. How you doing, pal? Okay. So we're good. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. That's okay. So basically I was just saying that, you know, you had to reinvent your life when hockey was finally over for you. And that had been something you had been doing basically your whole life. And you reinvented it with radio. And you did that for so many years. I had to reinvent my life post-WAF, which is something I never imagined that I would ever have to do. And I imagined, you know, that if I ever wasn't at AAF, it would have been because they fired me and escorted me out with the cops. I never in a million years <laughs> would have predicted it that it would have been that after 50 years right? they sold the station and they turned the signal uh off. Carrie, Carrie stabbed LB. I can't. <laughs> oh, no. But reinventing my career starting back in the end of February when the station went off the air and trying to figure out what's next for me, right? And starting my company and launching the podcast and getting mistresscarry.com up and running, which is what I've been spending all of my time doing recently and making all kinds of cool stuff. I got to send you Mistress Carrie t-shirts and stuff because I got them. I love it. Um, but but now, I mean, what's I know that if I don't ask this question, everybody's going to get pissed at me if I don't ask. But sure. what are you going to do next? Well, my my number one project right now is just to get healthy, and my my hip is coming around, you know. So I'm starting to be able to walk again. You know, it's hard for me to think of anything that I can do if I can't leave my house or you know. I'm, in, you know, even leaving my house on a walker or crutches is a, a task and a half. But um, I, I, I would hazard a guess that I will be doing TV uh, somewhere. But we'll we'll have to wait and see on that. But it's like anything. I have a couple irons in the in in the fire and. I've got a couple of really good friends in Canada um, that I used to do TV with up there. And um, I have, I have some options, but I don't know anything other than to yap off Carrie, which, you know, I do best. So, <laughs> well, uh, that's all we all know how to do. That's why we ended up yeah. working together for so many years. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I just, I've always just, I, I've been intrigued by this part of, this industry, you know, the media industry, whether it's TV or radio, um, I don't see any, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know if there's any place for me in radio. Um, I don't know if there's where, any place in radio for any of us at this point. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of, it's you know, it's a crazy world we live in and I don't think that I could survive being me, which I don't want to not be me. So, um TV is something that I don't have to be full on LB to actually do some TV and and have some fun whether it be um some I'm thinking about doing something in rock and roll and travel. So I'll just leave it at that. I've got good friends in Las Vegas and, and uh, I've got a, a great friend of mine whose son is, uh, is in a band that's, that's doing very well. So um, we'll see. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about it. We're good. The buyer's family's holding strong. We're good. We got a nanny and we got a will. And that's all you need. Hundred percent. I'm so. And I, and I, I'm sorry. And I hammy. My black lab. I I don't know. He's my my best buddy. What is it between you and Hillman and Black Labs? Uh, I don't know. I had three. So I mean, but we lost two. So yeah. So Pounder and and uh, Grapes passed away. So we, Hammy's the last, he's hanging strong. He's 11 and, and still crushing it. <laughs> it has been amazing through this whole lockdown. Like my pug Wednesday is just like the highlight of my day. It's amazing how much better animals make you feel when things Serious. suck. Seriously, right? My, Hammy and I, we hang. He makes my hips so much better every day. I try and do my exercises and I get pissy and he, he comes right up onto the couch and, and, uh, he makes me, he makes me all better. He's, he's a funny one. I am so thankful and grateful that you came on the podcast. Finally, you promised me that you would, but in true LB fashion, I was like, we'll see if he really says he's going to do it. If he really shows up and does it. And you did. It's Monday. I did it on Monday. It's not Wednesday. It's not like the following Friday. No, you did it. You were on time. I will say, though, because right? our text messages back and forth have been hilarious. So as people know that listen to the podcast, I have a couple different ways that I can record because I haven't had a lot of people come oh. into MCHQ, <laughs> my studio, because of COVID. And so I have a couple different ways that we can record. And one of the ways is through the web. And that way I can see the person that I'm talking to, which is really yeah. nice because we've been so socially isolated that it makes me feel good to be able to look at the person I'm talking to. You and I have yeah, been texting what's that, what's for that? days. Sorry, what's the, the web? Yeah. What they, call, they call it the web? <laughs> you and I have been texting for days. And I've been trying to help you navigate getting online to get into the recording session online so that you could activate a camera on a computer so we could look at each other. And the yeah. text messages back and forth, I was just like, LB, I'm just going to call you. And you were like, okay, that's good. Well, I was, listen, you, you'd be proud of Will. I, 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 was, I had Will trying to figure it out on, on his iPad, on his book. I whatever the computer book thing is the MacBook. That, well, yeah, but that was the only thing that had Chrome, but that was his school thing. So then I, I didn't think that th that would be allowed. 
you know, because if I dropped an F-bomb or something and it was on his laptop, then he gets suspended. No, it's all through the Internet. You're good. Uh, we figured it out. We figured it. Yeah. We made it happen. Yeah. Is there, do you have any of your social media pages still active? Not, not that I'm on. I mean, they're probably still active, but I don't even know how to get, I know that I think my Instagram might still be up, but I don't know how to get on it through my phone because I can't remember my Apple password, oh. which, which everything was connected to. Yeah. So I have to start everything over, which I'm not really that motivated. So the cool part is I get to I get to talk to you and tell all the AF listeners and all of your fans that you're incredible and that I wish you an incredible holiday season and a great Christmas and a happy new year and all that good stuff. And whenever you want to talk again, just let me know. I am so happy to hear even though I know you're physically having a hard time and mentally you're dealing with your challenges, but I got to tell you, LB, I've known you a long time. You sound so good. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you, you know really what? If do. I had, if I had a hundred bucks for everybody that says that when they talk to me now, well, that's what that when you don't drink 24 hours a day, you actually are a human being again. It's, it's cool. <laughs> the things we learn in old age, LB. No, I, I hear you. I don't think I haven't said that to myself. I actually, I, I was pumped um, yesterday. I, I thought I was 50. I thought I was 57 years old. And Annie's like, you're only 56. So yesterday I found out I saved a year. So I'm pumped. <laughs> she literally has earned the shiniest, oh. sparkliest halo in heaven of any human being on the planet. Well, you'd be, you'd be impressed. I got, um, uh, when did I, I don't remember what I, what, it, what the date was or what it was for, but I got, I spent some good coin on a beautiful diamond necklace for. Her. Oh, does she so. know that? Cause you're saying it in the podcast, you know, people are going to hear this, right? Yeah. Someone will, someone probably will know Annie will tell her. I don't, I, I, you know, I don't worry about that stuff. I got the necklace. That was good. Richie actually, because I couldn't walk because of my hip surgery. I wonder what the, why did I get it for? But Richie was nice enough with, uh, with his girl, Allie, to go and get it from the, this, the, the uh, jewelry store and got her something nice. It was good. Well, I love oh, you. Oh, it was our anniversary. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Because now I remember we were we were sitting outside on the patio uh, on on the furniture when he when he showed up and yeah yeah. So it was yeah. It must have been our anniversary in August. So you got the month right? Yeah. No, I, I don't know the day. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I was there at the wedding. I know we you go. were. I was there. It was a beautiful day. I know. I know. I know. It was a beautiful day. Well, LB, yeah. I love you so much. And I'm so grateful that you came on the podcast so that everybody could hear from you and hear how you're doing, you know, how you're doing from your own mouth. And uh, it's just really good to hear you doing as well as you are. You, you had well, people scared for a long time. And, you know, 
there have been good times and bad times and in between times. And I think at the end of the day, people were just really worried about you. And even though I know you still got a tough well, road ahead of you to recover, it really sounds like you're in a good space to be able to do that. Yeah, that, that's just it. That's just the hip thing. And the mind thing we got, you know, just for everybody, you know, I, I got doctors that, you know, we're good. We got it dialed in and, and, uh, I don't know if it's going to get how much worse or when it's going to get worse, but I have doctors that know what's going on and my hip is only going to get better. And the docs fixed it up and got it dialed in. So now we're in the recovery for that. And it means the world to me that you wanted to talk to me. I love you back. I'm glad that your life is awesome. You deserve every moment of every piece of happiness and, and joy and in your life that you, you get and you work hard for that and um so outside of me crying right now don't cry that's one thing you've I'm always a crier. been i know i am too linden criers <laughs> <laughs> i will let you go and hang out with your dog lb all right carrie go there's the answer to the question how is lb not the easiest answer to get but he sounds great right normally in the show notes of a podcast episode i put all the links to the guest social media accounts however lb told me after we got done recording that he doesn't know the passwords to any of his pages and he doesn't look at them anyway so i did put links up so you can go back and check out his hockey career And I'm sure if you Google it, kid, you'll be able to find plenty of videos and stuff online about the infamous LB. There is a link for the corresponding playlist for this episode with all the songs you would expect LB to want on his playlist. Huge thanks to Digital Federal Credit Union or DCU at dcu.org and Latini Creative Solutions at latinicreative.com for sponsoring this week's episode. And if you liked what you heard, don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss anything from the Mistress Carrie podcast, including the sit rep Monday through Friday, all of your music news and rock headlines in under five minutes. And meet me for a cocktail in the war room live every Tuesday night at 830 on my Facebook page. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com 
code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. <laughs> 